Indie or AAA? AAA. Free to play or pay to play? Free to play. iOS or Android? Android. You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. I'm Melissa Zalouf, and I'm joined on the show today by Sofia Gilyazova from Social Point Games. Thanks for being here, Sofia. Hi, everyone. Thanks a lot, and happy to be here. In today's show, we're going to be discussing in-app bidding and what the transition from the traditional waterfall model is likely to look like, how long we think it's going to take, and what it really means for game developers today. But before we dive in, Sofia, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and about Social Point Games. Sure, of course. So I'm originally Russian and I've been living in Berlin for some time and I got into ad tech industry in a quite cool way. I started with an ad network called ad to games at some point and that's how my enter of the gaming industry happened. Social Point was one of the clients that I've been working with when I was in the ad network called Vungle and in the end I transitioned from the ad network to an actual client. Uh, Social Point was founded around 2008 and as you know we have a bunch of games which I can tell later about. One of our most famous ones are the dragon games so everything about dragon city or monsters this is our our thing our portfolio so it's social point is based in barcelona is that right yes that's correct so do you notice kind of a difference between the spanish and the german gaming scenes well that's a really good question i think definitely do in general i think in germany we do not have that many gaming companies we have actually much more in barcelona i would say a startup scene in both is very very rich however what i notice in berlin i think we have a little bit more of a sort of service networks or like a startup that oriented on them like SaaS providers Mm -hmm. while we have actually a lot of game developers and I have a feeling that maybe that's the sun that influences all the creativity in this point interesting by that logic you'd have lots of game studios in Israel too but I'm not sure exactly how the how the numbers stack up but you (laughs) mentioned that you worked in an ad network before going in-house at social point to manage ad monetization how did that experience kind of help how did it change the way you approach ad monetization uh, once you went in-house Yes, that's correct. I've been in a really good ad network and I actually enjoy working there. Um, I do think that did influence me a lot just because the first thing that I gained is a little bit of empathy. You know, sometimes when you're just starting from the client, you kind of want to squeeze out networks, you want to get things from them and you just go ahead with that. I can understand the pressures that ad networks have. I've been there, so I understand that. And I also know what I should ask for and maybe what I should not, if you know what I mean. Sure. Plus, I think in general, it's just really good to have an overall holistic approach. I think it helped me to have a holistic approach when looking into like ad monetization plus user acquisition efforts and kind of understanding what's behind the network algorithm. You know, people tend to say that this is a very black box, Mm -hmm. but in fact, it, it is a black box, of course, but you can understand more or less what's going on behind that. Right. It's actually interesting you mention looking at user acquisition as part of your approach to monetization or what you've called a holistic approach, because it's something we've seen sort of happen more and more where normally, you know, what might be two different uh, departments in a studio end up being united under sort of like one team or one executive. Have you seen that happen more? Is it happening at Social Point? Well, I definitely see that happening more. I think overall development of the market, especially ad monetization market, influences that a lot. And we definitely see that in Social Point. I think for us, the key is for all the departments to work together. And what's important is ad monetization is directly influenced by two departments, is user acquisition, so the users we acquire, and obviously product. So for me, the key to success is actually to work very closely with both of these departments. Mm-hmm. Looking at your own move from an ad network into a game studio, do you see that move happening a lot? Or- or I guess even vice versa? 
that? I believe so. I think this topic started to come up a little bit more often, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I still think that there is a bunch of companies that really approach that. In fact, our own company, we didn't do that before, but we started doing that because of the market movements and because also due to the tools that we have right now available on the market, it kind of helps. So it gets more and more complex. It gets more and more intelligent, Mm -hmm. which is great. And we can finally actually do some calculations to use these tools and to use the numbers. Sure. Well, that's probably a good segue then to jump into our our main topic for today. Um, In that bit, (laughs) it's obviously something the industry, it's a complex, intelligent tool. Obviously something the industry has been buzzing about for the last year or so with you know, still not at full market penetration in terms of game studios running the bulk of their inventory through in-app bidding, but it's definitely kind of gaining traction. How are you guys managing monetization at Social Point? Is it sort of traditional waterfall? Are you partially on in-app bidding? So at this very moment, we are working on a traditional waterfall. And as you know, there could be two types, basically automatic waterfall and a manual one. So I think as many, many other publishers, we're just using a combination of, of those two. Mm-hmm. And how actively are you going in there and changing settings? and testing new configurations of the waterfall? Uh, We try to test at least once a week, at least something. uh, But of course, it depends on the partners. In general, you can see after some time what sort of partners are performing in which geo, who performs more stable way, who is not performing in a stable way, where you can actually leverage fill rate and ECPM together or where you can just, you know, use the fill rate or ECPM. So I think in general, it all goes into historical data. So you just know, okay, these guys perform the best. And this is actually a really big drawback because you get used to, certain partners to be top and you can actually miss out on the other ones. Right. Which is, I guess, also where in-app bidding would kind of come in because you're not going to get used to anything because nothing will be historical. Yes, I think that is definitely what I'm really looking forward to. Mm -hmm. I guess this could either be a social point question or or an industry level question, but when do you think we are going to see much wider penetration of in-app bidding? That's a great question, which I think a lot of people in this industry is asking constantly. What's happening right now, if you look at the situation on the market right now, we definitely have have some companies that offer a solution for in-app bidding. Mm -hmm. But in today's space, we know really well that with the certain solutions, with the solutions we have on the market right now, it's always a traditional waterfall plus in-app bidding. Mm -hmm. So... In other words, we know that the bids that will be coming, the flat ECPM bids that will be coming, let's say, from DSPs will be competing against historical ECPM averages that we're already working with right now that will come from SDK-based networks. So I think in this case, the transition is definitely hindered by that. And what I expect to see maybe in this year is we will get more partners who would actually engage into actual in-app bidding. But I also think maybe it's a little bit of a realistic or pessimistic approach that we're not fully going to transition to that. So we won't have a complete waterfall, a flat waterfall that is managed only by an app bidding. We'll definitely still have some partners that are traditional and they provide the historical CPM averages as right now. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, it will be difficult to enjoy some of the benefits of in-app bidding if the solution is only kind of partial, because in terms of operational costs being cut, yeah. making kind of the whole process much more manageable, you're not benefiting from any of those things because you're still sort of managing yourself because it's partial. So do you think until we transition to something full-blown in that bidding, the real benefits of that solution won't really be realized? I think it will be realized only partially. I think that the first step for us is definitely to try the solution, even if it's not complete. But we just have to be realistic and understand that it won't be complete that fast, just again, because of a lot of challenges that in that bidding has in itself. So what I think would happen is a lot of players will go forward and a lot of players will try it out. We will see some kind of increase 
and it definitely creates less workload because it means that a bunch of partners that we work with would be sort of auto-managed via in a bidding solution and some partners will stay. But I don't think that this will generate ultimate yield that we're expecting from in a bidding. So we just have to be realistic in this. Mm -hmm. But long term, that's where we're all going. I really hope so. And I think that eventually it will happen. Right. You talked about some of the challenges in kind of implementing in-app bidding, especially kind of in, in the mobile uh, and performance space. Can you talk a little bit more about those obstacles? Yeah, sure. I think, to be honest, I see maybe two obstacles that majorly affect in-app bidding. I think the first thing is that, as I said, the companies right now offering a hybrid solution. So, of course, you will have an auction on top of your waterfall, and then you will have a waterfall. So, in fact, it's not really the solution that people sell to us. That's clear. So that's definitely a challenge for publishers. But also we have to take into consideration, again, looking at the SDK-based networks, that these SDK-based networks work with their advertisers on CPI basis. And for them, they will have a pretty big margin pressure transitioning into the flat CPM bids. So that just would mean that they will have to take all these margin pressures on themselves, which of course hinders the whole market. Right. They might not want to be very eager to switch. That's the first challenge. And second challenge, if they switch, how aggressive they will be with their bits because in fact, they can suffer in the end. So I think those two are, I think, on top of my mind right now for the transition. It makes me think of a high-level question, whether in-app bidding is better, in your opinion, for the buyer or the seller. I mean, obviously, you know, it has benefits for both and it would be great to be able to say, yes, it's equally wonderful for everyone. But when it comes down to it, and especially until we kind of reach full market penetration, do you think it has more benefits for one side over the other? That's a great question. I think in general, until we reach the end point, let's say the perfect world of what we're all waiting for, in the end, it would be great for the buyer. And why I think like that is that, of course, some advertisers tend to buy from a lot of ad networks, a lot of DSPs. So advertisers naturally will go to the providers which are participating in the auction. Why? Is because, as you know, these bids will compete in a very flat way, which means that advertisers that want to get the first view, they want to get the most expensive impression, will actually have a chance. While before, you know, in traditional waterfall, you do not really have a chance if you, let's say, buy through the network that is at the bottom of your waterfall. Mm -hmm. And of course, the buyers do not have this transparency. They don't know where this network is. They can, of course, ask and try to collect this information. But as a publishers, we change waterfalls. Some publishers change waterfalls daily. So it kind of makes sense that for them, it's pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. So I think the buyers will benefit more from that. But again, you know, it's a chicken and egg problem. They want to get the inventory, but maybe this inventory is not available because the publishers are not ready to implement in that bidding in their applications. And do you think game publishers are thinking about brand advertising budgets when they're considering in-app bidding? And do you think it will encourage more brands to buy in-app? Or do you think we're going to sort of stay where we are with the majority being sold to other performance advertisers? I think that's another great question. I'm very positive about this. I think in-app bidding will help us to get more brand uh, buys. And one of the reasons to that is we always mix in-app bidding with header bidding, right? With mm -hmm. actually web solution. And brands are quite traditional and they like that because they used to buy from this a lot. So yeah, I think that brands will feel more comfortable knowing that they can bid on certain things flatly and actually compete with everyone rather than having absolutely zero transparency on which kind of impressions they're buying. If they want to have a first impression or second or third or any impression they want, they will have that transparency as of now. So I think that the transition into an app bidding would actually help the brands 
to buy inventory more transparently, to get more data about where they're buying from. And uh, that will actually foster the transition for them. So let's take sort of like a, a moment to return to talking about waterfalls. We got very stuck on in-app bidding, which is exactly where we should be. But I'm curious if you have an example of a, a waterfall change or a test that you did, which you saw yield really incredible results. Kind of what was the, a standout case for you where testing something new on the waterfall really changed your yield and revenue? I think in general, what we've done and we've seen a really good result on before we worked with a mediation partner where we couldn't really do the multiple instances and then we actually were able to do that so that changed helped us a lot and definitely increased our arp dial that's one of the biggest changes we've done and i know in a way it kind of makes us closer to in-app bidding by basically creating all the multiple instances and kind of layering our traffic as granularly as we can which is again it's not a perfect thing it's a very cumbersome work right it's a lot it's a lot of work on your end absolutely <laughs> yes but in fact it paid off all the work all the creation of the instances and everything we've done uh, paid off pretty well for us so that's one of the changes that actually impacted our ad revenue very cool and in terms of kind of the data you talked about transparency and brands being able to have a, a lot more visibility in exactly kind of what impressions they're buying and it feels like the industry as a whole is moving much more towards more granular data becoming more readily available what kind of new data points have you started considering um, I'm obviously thinking of user ad revenue here partially because it's also something else that's been getting more attention recently are you using user ad revenue what other kind of more granular data points have you started using recently that have helped mostly we started using as you said user ad revenue once it became available on the market and we of course can discuss that more what we always use is we looked at the major kpis that are affecting both product and ad revenues so as you know engagement frequency all of these things we've did pay a lot of attention to that before but i think it's a really good trend that right now these kpis are discussed in the industry more and more and more more and more people understand the importance of working together with a product so i think in a way these are the top things we're looking at on an almost daily basis what other things is user ad revenue or sort of what other areas is user ad revenue impacting obviously it's something that could have a value for the user acquisition side of course for kind of measuring your kind of ad monetization business health if you will is it also something that's impacting product for social point yes that's correct when the user ad revenue has become available for us the first thing we used it for is actually was a b testing so we've created a certain different uh, ad experience in, in one of our games for the users and for us it was important to understand what happens because one experience helped us to get a, definitely a higher reach but we limited a little bit of our frequency while the other one was just a usual ad experience that our users have so in the end what we got is we were able to measure if the first experience is better than the second and you know some of our assumptions were wrong some of our assumptions was right without the user ad revenue won't be able to do that because you always assume and you know you can see the numbers of engagement you can see the numbers of frequency but in the end you do not really know if the users get a higher value or a lower value especially with a bigger reach so that was the first implication we used it for and the second implication we've done quite recently is we try to tackle the user segmentation you know everyone talks about ad whales about different users that engages with advertising differently i think we approach our users that watch advertising in a similar way as IAPs. So we want to do user segmentation and we would love to do that if, you know, if it gets especially a little bit more simpler than right now. And we want to treat our users differently because we want to understand how each user engages with advertising and what they want, what they prefer to do, how many ads do they watch and how do they react, let's say, on different types of ad formats. So user ad revenue has helped you identify the ad whales and then build custom experiences for them. Indeed. Were you surprised by any of the kind of conclusions thrown up by user ad revenue? I've been surprised 
surprised at the result of one of the tests we've done. It was more about, again, different ad experiences for different users. And we were surprised to see that frequency, so amount of impressions per user matters a lot and much more than we thought. So what we thought is if you watch, let's say, 10 videos or 10 videos in a row, you don't generate any installs. So your installs primarily would be very, really low in the end. It's not necessarily the fact. It really depends on the game. So for us, it was a bit of a surprise because we tend to think that, okay, only first four or five views are important. Maybe the rest are not. But in fact, we found out that much more views are actually generating revenue for us. And it was very helpful for us to see. Um, everything is about A-B testing and everything is about basically figuring out what works for you. All our assumptions, some of them were, as I said, were wrong. Some of them were right, but we've got a bunch of surprises for sure. I'm not going to talk about the phrase about what people say when you make assumptions. We're not going to mention <laughs> yeah. it because it's a very clean podcast, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've just released an A-B testing tool. I think the whole industry is going to transition to testing in general a lot more. Certainly we've seen it happen on the UA side with things like creative optimization and even implementing creatives as part of soft launch. And now it's sort of very exciting to see the same thing happen on the monetization side and building very sort of customized experiences for different segments of users, which is something we've sort of been talking about for a while, but the tools to make it happen and to track, you know, what the impact was weren't really there. Um, but if you had to sort of pick one monetization related trend for the industry in 2019, 2020, that's not in our bidding, what would it be? I think it would be Adult TV. I think that all game publishers or all app publishers in general will become more and more intelligent and calculate get LTV and the industry will kind of finishes the transition into understanding how much advertising is important for your user acquisition efforts. So we finally arrived to the point where everyone will consider UA plus monetization in general as one big thing that is very interdependent and has to work together really, really closely. I think right now, some people are understanding this, some people maybe not understand the importance of it, but I have a feeling that by 2019, by the end of it, we all have a lot of good talks about measuring ROAS and including adult TV with a lot of game publishers. I tend to agree, uh, but then again, I'm not an expert. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show today. That was super, super interesting, Sophia. And everyone else, see you next episode. Thank you so much. That was a pleasure talking to you today. Super Mario or Sonic? Sonic. Native or interstitial? Native. Hyper casual or casual? Casual, please. Jawa or buff? <laughs> buff. <laughs>